Now, it's day 11 of the Dog Days of Podcasting. I have a few things to wrap up from prior installments. In the episode of That 80s Show, My Dead Friend, I completely left off a key point of the A-plot where Rick's father met with Corey after hearing Corey had stayed with Rick on the floor until the paramedics arrived. Rick's father confused that with true long-term friendship and got Corey to deliver a eulogy. All of that is part of the A-plot that I said I enjoyed. I just neglected to include those details. Perhaps that's part of what made the episode come in so short. Meanwhile... I do have all the previous episodes of Really Big Things Book 1 available, and I think I'll include them during the remainder of Dog Days. I'm not going to edit or expand on them. They're just going to be the exact same old files with all the old recording methods, flaws, and that experimental nature exactly as first heard on the deadpan. Oh, and all the old cameos will still be there too, including half the writers of Podcasting for Dummies, second edition anyway. If anyone is interested in skipping ahead and listening to all of them at once, you can contact me and I can send you a Dropbox link. Meanwhile, here's the short story that started it all, Quitting Time. And a warning, this short story is not for emetophobes. Quitting Time by Paul Mackey I quit my job today. After a particularly wretched and mind-numbing day yesterday, my buddies Tim and Rob saw fit to subject me to a phenomenal night of drunken mayhem. The tequila was flowing far too easily, and a great deal of it was flowing into me. This morning, there was only one thing I could do. I cracked open a can of corned beef hash, mixed in chopped onion and potato, and set it to frying in a great cast-iron skillet. As I cooked, I stirred in loads of barbecue sauce and horseradish, seasoning it liberally with a handful of black pepper. I fried three eggs atop the bubbling mass and ate it directly from the pan with two or three tumblers of ice-cold water. I didn't bother shaving, just tossed some water through my hair, threw on my work shirt and hat, then headed off to fast food hell, late as usual. When I got in, Sam was pissed, as is the norm. We'll talk after the lunch rush, Jerry, he barked, and I made faces at his departing back. I settled in on the order prep line, listening to the chorus of beeping friars, slopping sides, ringing registers, and a trio of cute teenage girls. Howdy there, would you like to buy some chicken? The girls are very professional about their positions as ringers, greeting the customers with big smiles and straight backs, as their perky breasts do their best to poke through their tight, white. Anyway, I suppose it's good I can't get arrested for what I'm thinking. At lunch, I gave people double the required maximums of condiments and extra cheese on their chicken and cheeses. One of the new high school trainees came over to me and said, Uh, Jeremy, uh, I think you put too much mayo on that last filet. Sam said it's just supposed to be a loving stroke of mayo. I stared at him for a long moment, and watched as he shifted his weight from one foot to the other, and then back again. I guess I'm a very loving guy. Your fries are beeping. Then I belched, bringing up the strong taste and odor of the hash, horseradish, and a faint presence of stale tequila still in my system. I probably shouldn't have driven to work. Sam called me into his office about two o'clock, and asked me to close the door behind me. 
Sam sat behind his desk like some manner of potentate, resplendent in his white feathers on red manager's knit shirt. He looked like he was pretty pissed. His bald spot was flushed bright red among tufts of white hair like a little target, and the vein on his forehead pulsed as though it might fly across the room and slap me in the head. Jeremy, when I hired you, I thought you might bring with you some much-needed maturity to the staff here. Most of the chicken-heaven angels I hire are still in high school. I guess I made the mistake of thinking, at age twenty-six, you would have changed since you were in high school. I now see the error of my ways. I need to see some changes. As he marched along on his tirade like some poultry general, I fixed my gaze on him. Not the usual dull look, but a real riveted stare, seeing how long it took him to notice. My stomach rumbled faintly like the distant volley of artillery. He yammered on for a bit while my glare continued. Finally he stopped. What the hell are you staring at? My stomach rumbled again. This time, in the silence, even Sam heard it. Never breaking my stare, I pointed two fingers at him. I now knew what was coming next, so I decided to hasten the process. I raised the two fingers straight into the air and began to open my mouth as if to speak. I think Sam was pretty weirded out because he didn't say a word, just watched my performance mutely as though hypnotized by my glare. Continuing the motion of my arm in slow motion, soon now, I now had my two fingers pointed at my own face. Here it comes. Closer, closer, then my fingers are pointing at my teeth, my tongue, my breakfast. Suddenly, I'm a river. I am a fire hose. I am a fucking volcano. A great, hot, liquid rush of water, eggs, hash, and bile races up and out forward, sliding and spreading in a gorgeous yellow-brown pool across the papers on the desk. Another heave sends a gout of the stuff into Sam's chest before he could fling himself away. Then I rose silently and wiped my chin, absent-mindedly rubbing the residue from my hand on the cloth back of the chair. I left the office and didn't look back. Behind me, I heard the guttural wet sounds of Sam adding to my masterpiece. Quitting Time was originally printed, in slightly different form, in the zine Crooked Finger, issue 4, Laval, Quebec, Canada, www.peekaboo.com. The music for Quitting Time is Chicken by the G. Gordon Liddies, written by Mike Bryant, mikebryant.coffeehouse.ca, and is used by permission. What the hell is that crap? Why, it's the G. Gordon Letty's boss. I'm listening for satanic messages. Well, it's a piece of shit. Turn it off. I know two things about the URLs in that outro. One, peekaboo.com was never Boo Jupiter's website, and that was a total mistake on my part at the time, and two, both URLs are now dead anyway. The subtitle of Quitting Time never made it on the recording for some reason, from the Journal of Jeremy Allen Page. Given how really big things kicks off, I'm not sure when Jeremy found the time to write such a detailed journal entry. Anyhow, it's the only section from first-person perspective in the whole thing. I don't completely rule it out going forward. So looking at the list of the episodes of Really Big Things, I could use pre-recorded content more or less coast for the rest of the month. I'm frankly not sure how many times that might happen, but not today. Today we're going to look at episode 6 of That 80s Show, Spring Break 84.
I said last time that Kyler Lee was perhaps the most successful performer to come out of the show, and that possibly discounts Glenn Howerton, who plays Corey. I know that he moved on to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I haven't seen and, parenthetically, won't be covering in future episodes of this show or any other sitcom. Probably. Uh, From things I've seen online, I had the impression people didn't like Glenn, but it's possible that it's his character and not his performance. But in any case, on that 80s show, he's, what's the phrase, more or less adequate. So in this episode, Katie discovers she's maxed out on her credit card. I know it's the 80s and she's only in her early 20s, but I'd love to be $1,000 in debt. Meanwhile... One of Corey's high school band classmates has changed his name to Raythorn and has become a successful enough performer to open for the Smiths in his hometown, San Diego. Katie convinces her dad, who also thinks she's still in college, to fund a fake spring break trip to Cancun, and he writes a $1,300 check. Ray the Rockstar and Tuesday have a long chat, which might be mostly Tuesday toying with Corey, and Tuesday accepts Ray's invitation to his show opening for the Smiths. A bunch of sitcom situations later, Katie confesses to her dad about the real reason for wanting the money, and Corey asks Tuesday out on a date, and not to date Ray. If you like sitcom humor, that's the high point. There are good jokes, situations relating to Katie maintaining her lie about Cancun, Roger has a running physical comedy gag about his slippery pants, that is good though they may use it a few too many times. The low point for this episode is part of what I've said before about what I see as a flaw with the series. The main family of this series is in sunny San Diego, well enough off that RT can take a checkbook out of his bathrobe and casually offer to write a $2,000 check without even thinking about it. Even if you adjust the amounts for inflation, it's not something Red Foreman would ever have done in the original series. There's a smaller subset of people who can actually relate to this kind of family. So, who won who lost? I suppose Tuesday wins. It's pretty clear the whole Ray thing was a means to an end where she pushes Corey to get to actual date stage. Alright, is it an anachronism? Katie asks the Cantina band to play some Bananarama, and they break into a performance of Cruel Summer. This is pretty questionable. Bananarama had done some promotional appearances in the U.S. market in 82 and 83, but hadn't really broken through. Cruel Summer was released in the UK in 83, but didn't break in the US until late June of 84, after this episode's setting, uh, when it was used on the soundtrack of The Karate Kid. So, it's not impossible that Katie would know the band, and it's not impossible for the song to be learned by the cantina performers. It's just really, really unlikely. Uh, What worked? I'm thinking this section usually relates back to the high-low points from earlier. I'll probably be retooling it as I move into the next series in any case. The general sitcom humor was the part that was successful. Why did it suck? I don't think this episode sucked. The low point from before is, I think, a definite factor for the entire series, but I don't think anything was all that egregious at the single episode level. So next episode is Katie's birthday. They haven't specifically said her age, but unless she's been drinking with a fake ID in all the previous episodes, I assume this won't be her 21st. I just hope that Owen can't wrangle another shore leave. That would make three in two months anyway, so how likely is that? I don't really know, so I'll just say happy hunting! (music) 
You have been listening to the One Idget's Thoughts on podcast, produced by Paul Mackey in association with QuadrupleZ.com. Theme music is Too Good by Jack Mangan and is used by permission from him. If you would like to hear other podcasts by me, you might try The Ghostlight Podcast, a completed intro cast about the TV series Slings and Arrows, or Idgetcast, an intro cast for the TV series Supernatural. Both can be found on fine podcasting listening software everywhere or at quadruplez.com. Love is tough, but so-